Let my fire your love, Hey, this is Steve Balton, and you are tuned in to People Have the Power, where this week I'm really excited to be joined by the Indigo Girls. This is a really fun conversation, very interesting, very personal. Really enjoyed their choices, which range from Sam Cooke and Mahalia Jackson to Tupac and Bob Marley. Really fun conversation. Hope you enjoy it as much as we did. Thanks. So the name of the show is People Have the Power, which I lifted from the great Patti Smith. Patti Smith! <laughs> well, if you were to ask me, I, I hope she takes it as a compliment, but it, it's funny. I remember years ago, I asked this question to people. What would be your, because I asked people, I, I got like crazy, be like Neil Young and all these people that answer the question of their favorite protest song of all time. And Neil Young and Graham Nash and all these people. And it's interesting. One of the questions I asked, and I'll put you guys on the spot with this as well, because this is conversational, of course even though I have your song choices, is look, the question I asked was, what would be the song that you would close out an all-star finale with at a benefit concert? And to me, you could go, to, I would choose either Bob Marley, Get Up, Stand Up, or Redemption song. But People Have the Power to me is just such an optimistic song. That's what I love about it. It's such a song of like hope at the same time being about protest. So for each of you, what song would you choose, you know, to close out your all-star benefit concert? Mm. Wow. So that's, yeah, it's different from the choices that I made for my songs that I love about change. Cause you got to have something that people can sing along with. Right. That big like, song. Yeah. Uh, I probably, I mean, we shall overcome is Emily picked that as one of her songs for the change. That's like a great sing along. Um, man, I, I mean, pe people have the power. It's like, an, it, that would be a great sing along as well. Cause it's just, it is so triumphant. And I've been in a Patti Smith audience when that was being sung and it does feel really good. <laughs> so I don't know. What do you think, Emily? Well, I was going to say the same thing as you, uh, actually, you know, we shall overcome it's anthemic. It's not, it doesn't have the same energy that, um, power to the people has, but I would pick one of those two as well, because, you know, to me, like Amy chose change going to come that, that would have been my first choice as well, but Sorry. it's not exactly a song. <laughs> Although I was at a protest yesterday and people sang it in the crowd, but it's not as like easy to sing in a group of people. So I would go with power to the people or we shall overcome. Nice. Now, wait, Power to the People is actually well, a John Lennon song. So would you go People Have the Power or Power to the People, both of which are great sing-along songs? Sorry, I, 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 I'm still working on my coffee. Power to the People. Awesome. <laughs> awesome. It's all good. And people in fact, that way, I like it because... Oh, People it, Have the Power, Patty Smith. Patty Smith, I'm sorry. Yeah. Okay. keep working at this. No worries at all. Because Power to the People, it is funny because the Power to the People is, of course, a John Lennon song. Yeah. Well, they were... They were saying power to the people at the march again and again yesterday. So I think I have those words stuck in my head. Yeah. You know, Patty Smith or John Lennon, you really can't go wrong with either one. That's true. I like We Shall Overcome, though, because it's so tied to the civil rights movement. So it's, it's so tied to a, a, a movement, you know, just like. So I, I like that one as well. I was at a protest in Dahlonega where I live a while back and it was like an anti-Klan protest and we did We Shall Overcome and what the interesting thing about that was that people 
made up all different verses for it as we went. So like the Unitarians had like three other verses that I had never even heard that they wrote, you know, and they would just call it out and then you could sing it. And that's a good, a good protest song at a protest. You can call out the next verse cause it's short and easy and everybody can pick it up and sing it. Like, you know, and it's hard to write one of those kind of songs. So, I mean, <laughs> we shall ever come is still like that standard bearer to me, you know, Oh, I was going to say, that's one of the, come here, Chuck. That's one of the interesting things about my dog is coming over. Come here. One of the interesting things about this is that, look, I mean, there are certain songs that just resonate for, for, you know, all eternity. And it's interesting because even for example, I was looking at, uh, oh, my cat was just here as well. I was looking at like years, I saw earlier this year, Sinead O'Connor in concert. Absolutely oh. mind blowing show. I can't believe you got to see that. You're so lucky. So lucky, so staggering, and she's such a talent. But what's so interesting is, look, when you look at a song like Black Boys on Mopeds, that's a song that was written in 1990, and you feel like that song could have come out today. And and that's one of the things that really, to me, struck me is, look, a great sort of song of, of social change resonates over time. It mm. just lasts, you know, and unfortunately, you wish some of these songs weren't so relevant for 100 years. But the reality is, is look, I mean, a change is going to come. People are still singing that today and still freaking hoping that it comes. <laughs> yeah. 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 So for you guys go through and, and we'll focus on, you know, so what I want to talk about is each of your choices, but then also how this ties into your music, how it's influenced your life and, you know, like how this stuff resonates with you and has impacted you, these songs. So whoever, whichever one of you wants to start, we'll go through the songs and then we can talk about, you know, the new album and how this has impacted you. And, you know, cause I mean, obviously going back to 88, your, your first album, I mean, you've always written songs that have, you know, and it's a, a thing too of look great protest songs. And to me, I think what made John Lennon, my favorite is the fact that great protest songs have a very personal angle. You hear yourself in them. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, I can start with uh, one of my choices, which was we shall overcome it. Um, it's such a powerful song and has such a long, long history. I mean, its origins were in slave song about a belief that, that, that the peop the slaves would, they didn't use the word overcome, but do have hope for a better day. And then it just, it became a hymn written and then it was used in a, a tobacco workers protest in the forties and, and then it was originally in the first person I and then changed to we. So it has this incredible long history. And you talk about great songs um, being applicable to modern times and, and the song that ties so much former history and then is still applicable to 2020 and what we're going through, particularly in this country. So, and also I have like the iconic performance by Mahalia Jackson who was a singer who stood in my mind as part of the power of the civil rights movement. And I, and, and just imagining what black people have gone through in this country and still that song has hope, you know, deep in my heart, I do believe. And so the spirit of hope in that song is something that, um, I mean, as a writer, I try to instill the hope that I have inside in some of my songs. But like Amy was saying, writing a protest song 
or one especially that you can interchange different verses, like super, super hard. But I am struck by how profound the hope is in that song, given the horrible racism and pain and death and suffering and, you know, all that, all that stuff through the centuries. So I would say that if there's anything that I try to do in a, um, in a protest song is to bring a little bit of a vision for change, at least. And that song definitely has that. But I, so would not, I, wouldn't even, I wouldn't even put any of my songs in the same sentence as that one. So I'm just trying to answer your question. No, that's, that's 100% fair. And again, there's a reason that song has lasted as long as it has. But for you, when you go back and look at your own songs, is there one song or two songs that you look at and you see, you know, where you feel that hope come out? And it's interesting because I'm a big believer that writing is a subconscious thing. So, so often the songs will dictate yeah. to you what they're about. So you may not even see that hope. Like, it's really funny. I just have a piece that came out with Nora Jones, who I don't know if you've heard her new album yet. It's phenomenal. But she was telling me that when she, the first session, she, for the new album, she went, she played the songs for her husband afterwards. And he's like, these are so sad and just gave her a hug. So it's like, she's like, I didn't even realize that. You know, it's funny. The songs will tell you what they're about. So when you look back on them, and maybe specifically on the new album, are there songs that you feel that hope? And it's interesting what you said about the, the need for hope. I mean, I, I feel like the more suffering there is, the more you need that hope. And that's why you're seeing these great songs be sung at these protests. Because if you, you need something that gives you hope, because if there's bleakness, how do you go on? If there's nothing but bleakness, I should say. Yeah, there's a couple songs that I wrote that we're doing again in concert. Like one is called um, It's All Right. And it speaks to specific things like being gay and being, you know, oppressed for that specifically. But it also talks about desecration of the land and, and not understanding things for every time I understand something, there's more to understand. And so we started singing that again. And it felt to me like it, it, it helped me work through what we're going on now. Um, okay. There's another song called Let It Be Me that we've been singing. I think I wrote that when the wall was coming down in Germany. I can't remember. But now it's about, I think of Trump's wall on the border of Mexico and it becomes a song about that. So, but on the new album, there's a couple songs. Well, actually there's more than a couple. Like the song Look Long is, it talks about our friend, Amy's and my friend, Marsha, who's passed, but she was, we were talking about prophecies and future, future things to come that were hopeful. And that song is about long-term vision. And then the, it's kind of, there's a lot of sadness in that song, but in the end it's like, oh, you know, we're, we're trying to do the best we can. We, we human beings sort of thing. And then a song, Sorrow and Joy on the new album, which is about holding um, opposites in life, how challenging that is, but how we have to, and then even feel this way again as a song about um, kids, particularly in high school, young people, and and the you know the hard social things they can go through, but how there is a change as we become more accepting of a fluidity of who we are, our gender, our being. So that's about that. So when you ask that question, I, I realize that there are quite a few of my songs on the new album that are hopeful like that. Interesting. You know, it's funny when you say that, you know, you realize there are a lot of songs about hope. And I talk about this with artists on a daily basis. Look, when you're making a record, you're in the midst of it. It's very hard to get perspective on it. So when you go back and listen to the record, 
are you surprised by how much hope is in there? Because again, it's, you, you know, obviously it's, the, it's interesting because it's the stuff you wrote, but again, you're in the midst of making it. And oftentimes it takes a while to gain perspective and to figure out exactly, you know, what it is that the record is, is sort of telling you. I think I can be surprised either way. Sometimes I thought there was hope and then I'm like, oh my God, this sounds so bleak. <laughs> and then sometimes I think, no, this, I think the one thing that I thought about this record was when Emily and I, we write separately from each other. So when we came together with our songs to share them with each other, to start arranging, I was struck by how similar of a place we were in, which is, of course, that makes sense because we're around the same age and we've been through life together since we were 10. But it's like I was looking at that, that we were both, you know, looking at a long forward look and a long and kind of a backward look. But at the same time, we were able to be really in the moment. And that's kind of the way our whole life has been with our, with our career. So whatever. But I think that, yeah. And I think I was struck by how the songs were tied together by our different experiences, which is sometimes the first thing that strikes me. And then I start thinking about the holistic kind of vibe of like where we're at and is there hope? Is it too dark? Is it blah, blah, blah. And I honestly do think about that before we make the record, because I sometimes think like, we need a song on here. That's like shake that's, you know, more fun or something. And we both think about that. I think, cause we've got, cause I think we got feel this way again, which is kind of, I think, very boppy and fun and change my heart is very like activist but it's still like a rocker so it's kind of got that power to it so it's not like bleak um even though maybe some of the content is about despair um but it's also about overcoming it to me um that's emily's song and i yeah so i definitely have like songs for me that are super hopeful and about liberation and, you know, just dealing with aging, but also dealing with like intergenerational activism and how important it is and how important it is to let people within their own world contribute the way they can contribute, you know, and because, and listening to all voices on all sides of an issue to try to understand better so that you can solve the problem. I mean, obviously with racism, you got to listen to all voices, but we know what's going to solve that problem, <laughs> you know, <laughs> anti-racism. <laughs> so um, I think, yeah, but as far as like song picks, I mean, a change is going to come. We talked about this when we were just talking that a change is going to come has always been one of my favorite songs of all time, no matter what, whether it's about activism or whether it's just about what makes me feel good in my heart. And I think because I, the first version I heard was Sam Cooke. So that voice is one of my favorite voices too. Um, and so I, I just, I don't know, just, it always, for some reason reminds me of my grandmother who we called Mammy of all things. Um, and she and her and my granddaddy Beck both tended to be racist earlier in their life. Um, well-meaning racist, I should say. <laughs> and, uh, but I remember one time we were watching in the heat of the night and, um, you know, Carol O'Connor was one of her favorite actors because of Archie Bunker. And, but in the heat of the night was such a different thing. So she leaned over and said to me, he's changed my mind about, I think she said black people or something like that, because if he can marry 
a black woman and work with a black police officer, then I need to think about, you know, that and not be prejudiced. And we had this conversation and it was while watching in the heat of the night. And it's always been one of my favorite shows ever since then. And that song <laughs> reminds me of that period of time because it reminds me of that show. And it reminds me of like the South and overcoming, I don't know, just the importance of just all my life. This has been all my life ever since I was like, I can remember being about 10 years old and meeting a guy named Andre in elementary school who had a crush on and he was mulatto and um, mixed race. And it was my first kind of like light bulb, right? Moment. And I just, my eyes after that could never see anything different than all the underbelly of the South and what we were living through and, and my relatives and my ancestors and just kind of our legacy as a Southern family and what we've, the damage that we've done in the past, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so that song has always meant a lot to me, I guess, because it makes me think about all of that stuff, you know, and, and just, I've, I mean, this is, racism has really been the, the, the thorn in my side ever since I was, I could remember thinking about things in a political way. It's just, it's the root of everything for me. So it's like black and brown people and indigenous folks, you know, and, and Hispanic and, and the African American community, just the whole legacy. We, we've gone from, you know, genocide to settle the country to slavery, to Jim Crow, to mass incarceration. I mean, you, it's a lineage that's just awful. So, and that brings me to that song changes that Tupac, you know, he took the Bruce Hornsby song and then he made his own thing. And, oh my God, the first time I heard that song, I just listened to it over and over and over again, because there's just something about it where I can't relate to his life necessarily. I mean, I wouldn't be able to get in those shoes, but there's somehow he enables that song makes his life very relatable to me. And he's speaking with his own to his own people, but he's also speaking to us. He's speaking to himself. I just, I think that song has so much humility in it. And that is an amazing thing for a song like that, to have humility, but at the same time have the bravado and the swagger that it has, you know, which is quite compelling. So. Well, I think that's one of the important things about, you know, great songs of social change is they educate. And that's one of the things that excited me about the concept of the show. And it's interesting when you hear that song and you first heard that song, talk about, you know, like you say, you couldn't imagine being in his life, but it gives you an understanding or at least puts you in that place. And as you heard it, you know, take me back to like when you first heard it and you listened to it again and again, and the things like, were there one or two things in listening to it that really just struck you right away? And you're like, I wouldn't have thought of that until Tupac put it in this way. I think that it was, the, the thing I wouldn't have thought about was that he would be speaking in this way to his community that was so um, like community leader-esque. And I, I mean, honestly, like the hip hop that I had listened to had been like, you know, 911 is a joke and, you know, Chuck D and like Public Enemy and Tupac. This was my kind of introduction to Tupac, this song actually. So I had, I think because I had this other perception of him, 
that I was just struck by the fact that he was being a community leader. He was like, we got to change the way we eat. We got to change the way we live. You know, he's like saying all these things. And then he's talking about, um, you know, and then he's talking to us two white people. And I think I was struck by the ability to sort of take it down to this intimate level and just be this person conversationally talking about all the things in your own community that you want to work on. And that humility opened me up to like, I think just listening to more Tupac, number one, and number two, <laughs> listening to just trying to seek out hip hop groups that had this community activism angle to what they were doing. And because I'm, I'm always interested in that in any songs. So just on a personal level, it gave me a whole new avenue. On an activism level, I just think I realized how much in common we had, like in my own world, all the things that he was talking about that need to be worked on in his world. There's a lot of things that are similar, you know, in a white world that's impoverished and activism that I might do in a community that's fighting poverty, you know, and has to work on the same kind of stuff you know, and um, domestic violence, diet issues, re, you know, access to health care, access to anything. And um, which, you know, has always been like a thing where there's a dichotomy of like, they, it's divide and conquer. It's what the Nazis tried to do. You know, you get, you, you divide people by race, you know, and you make it, everything scarce seeming and you oppress each other. And it's like, this has been going on for so long, you know, and that's, that's what they did to a lot of people, you know, that would vote against themselves in an election, you know, because they want to stick it to the black folks, but it's hurting them too. you know. So I think like it's all this stuff goes around in my head because I'm learning still, you know, and I'm just trying to like be honest about my learning curve. And the discoveries that I make about my own life, because I'm still, I'm a, I'm a Southerner, you know, and I've been raised in a way that's wasn't perfect, you know? Yeah. Oh, I, it's a generational thing, though, too. I mean, I grew up, you know, Jewish in the San Fernando Valley, and I remember being with my grandparents, and one of their friends was over, and we were watching a baseball game, and, you know, my cousin, who I'm very close with, is Hispanic. Uh, my grandfather's friend, this guy Joe, was watching the game and he's like, look at that sparks to go. And we were just disgusted. And unfortunately it's, it's a generational. Yeah. You know, and we just looked at each other and unfortunately it was, I think it's part of how they written, but you know, it is changing. It's getting better, but it's funny when you were talking about the voting against themselves, that's why I was shaking my head at, you know, I mean, you read the comments on social media now and I do often, and you read the people who are voting for, you know, the racist in chief, as I call him. And it, it's like, I mean, talk about self-loathing, but that's a whole separate conversation and, and oh, subject. Yeah, yeah no, no. Tangent. Yeah, no, no, no. It's just interesting because, I mean, but it is fascinating. And I think that, you know, that's part of what's happening now is to see so many people are sort of, you know, have grown up with this experience and are dealing with it in their own way, you know? Yeah. So, so it's interesting. But I don't want to keep you guys too, too long. So, Emily, I love the fact, too, that you chose... Redemption song, which is one of my favorite. Like I said, that would be one of the songs I, I would, you know, consider for the, the all-star finale at a concert. Oh, that song. It's so simple in its message, but it's a profound um, 
Amy, I first heard that song through Amy. She played it. And I was blown away by it. We used to sing it together. And um, Amy would sing the verses and I would sing the choruses in harmony. And it's just a song. I mean, it is about mental liberation, though in the context of uh, uh, physical imprisonment as well or whatever. But it's just a song that's applicable to all people who struggle or who are oppressed. Um, and I guess Bob Marley, he, he first took the idea from, um, a, uh, a guy, and I'm sorry, I can't remember his name now, but it was a speech and it was about mental liberation. And mm. Bob Marley heard that. And he wrote that about none but ourselves can free our minds. And so I like that because <clears throat> it, it, it just shows the influence that speakers, activists have on artists and then how the artist encapsulates it in a song and then the people can get it. And it's just, you know, it is that um, connectivity and it's just a beautiful melody. And so just musically, it's just completely captivating um, how achingly pretty it is, you know, and then the words are just for everybody. So I've always loved that song as soon as I heard it. Yeah, it's one of, I mean, to me, it's one of like, one of the perfect songs. Did you grow up in the South as well? I'm just curious. Well, I had my formative years in New Haven, Connecticut. I actually grew up in an all black neighborhood. And then we moved <clears throat> to Atlanta when I was 10, I guess, 10 or 11. So I've grown up most of my life in the South, but I have this like really deep uh, formative connection to that part of my youngest years but I feel southern I don't feel northern at all um so I'm kind of I've always had this sort of like who am I and where am I from and you know my my family history they're they're like Austrian and French it's like <sighs> <laughs> I think I've got a little shred of a darker part of Europe which makes me so grateful but you know uh, but anyway, I, I formative years in New Haven, most of my life in Atlanta. Well, the reason I asked specifically is it's funny, you know, because Amy spoke a, a length about, you know, that Southern heritage and what it means. But I mean, look, to me, that again is the mark of not just a great song of social change, a great protest on any great song, is that it's remarkable that, you know, you could grow up in New Haven and then move to Atlanta. And for me, I could grow up in the San Fernando Valley, uh, you know, in Los Angeles, and you can hear Bob Marley sing the song. And it's so, even though you've had no similar experiences that you know of, it still resonates so deeply with yeah. you. And, and, you know, you, you feel that for, you know, you feel that it's speaking to you in a way. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a miracle. I mean, it's just a miracle what lyrics and music can do together and what they draw from. It's inexplicable. It always has been. All right. So we'll wrap up on this note because I want to wrap up on your music. And this is always fun. You know, I mentioned the social, I mentioned, um, you know, social media. And it's interesting because that's one of the things that's changed so much now. Look, for each of you, what's nice is you're able to hear from fans directly about how the music impacts them. You know, and going back to what I was just saying about Bob Marley and how that song can speak to you so much. For each of you, what has been your favorite story you've heard from a fan of how an Indigo Girl song has impacted them? 
or influence them because, they, you know, I talk about this. Look, I mean, it's awesome to have hit records. It's awesome to have, you know, success, all this. But some stories people tell of how music has changed their life will mean way more than any hit record will ever be. And I always look at the example of someone like Tom Waits who, look, I mean, Tom Waits, you know, is never going to sell out an arena, but he's loved and revered by every artist. And his music has such a deep impact with his fans. So for each of you, what's your favorite story that you've heard from people? The, you know, how an Indigo, Indigo Girl song has inspired them. Well, the first thing that's coming to mind for me is, it's from a few different people actually, but when I've heard from people who are in the military about how they have listened to our music either in a combat zone or while they're deployed. And it is very striking to me because, you know, I grew up saying pacifist, passive, pacifist, but I have this deep respect for the people who commit themselves to the armed forces um, in an honorable way. And so I'm always struck and less surprised now, but initially surprised that someone in the military would, would hold on to Indigo Girls music as a respite for them in a combat zone. And that's what comes to mind to me first and how we can cross lines and cross prejudices or, or you know, misconceptions about who people are and what they do and how that relates to something like the armed forces. So that's the first thing that comes to mind for me. Interesting. Yeah. Cause I would not have expected that at all. Is there one song in particular that they've mentioned or one that's come up from multiple people? Oh, sorry. That's to get you off. But I, I the reason I was, look, I just looked cause I was curious. It was Marcus Garvey who gave the speech that inspired. Oh, yeah, Marcus song. Garvey. Thank you. Now, I was just curious on that, but yeah. And Amy, what about you? I, it's so hard to remember specific stories because we hear so many um, great ones. But uh, I think um, for me, I was struck by, I wrote this song called Rise of the Black Messiah. And it was after, it was for the Angola Three, but for Herman Wallace specifically. And he had written a letter that to me from Solitary Confinement through a friend of mine that was working on that case. And um, I wrote a song, took me years to write it, but I finally did, and uh, called The Rise of the Black Messiah. And after I started playing that song, and Emily and I started playing it, I heard from so many public defenders and people that work in, uh, in reforming the prison system and mass incarceration and social justice lawyers and I was just blown, it, it blew me away because when I would hear something and somebody would tell me a story, it was as if no one ever thanks them for the work they do because they're in this, I mean, the world they exist in is so bleak and so time consuming and so like hitting your head against the wall all the time. And they just, I think people were just like, wow, we feel like no one ever knows about any of these issues, you know? And I was like, I don't, I think people don't. I mean, I think it's just, there's no way you, people, the media does not talk about this stuff enough, you know? I mean, now they are, which is great. But uh, so anyway, that song, Rise of the Black Messiah, would be one where I was just struck by all the different, really just like public defenders that would be like, write me notes after the show or hold up signs or like, you know, send me like a, I would read like a comment, you know, 
I rarely read stuff. So usually it's from like a friend of mine will send me comments that she read on a Facebook page for us and it'll be like about, you know, these people. So yeah, it makes you feel good. I mean, I think in a long time ago, you know, people would write us and be like, well, I joined the Peace Corps because of the Indigo Girls. And I'd be like, you know, I mean, that's incredible. You know, they didn't have a certain song. They would just be like, you guys inspired, inspired me to join the Peace Corps or I started working for Honor the Earth. And there were interns for Winona because they got turned on to Honor the Earth from, you know, just benefits that we did. A lot of times it's not a specific song, but it's like the show or the benefit or, you know, that kind of thing. All right. So one bonus question for, for each of you. Best benefit show you've ever seen or the best benefit show that you've ever been a part of? One that you just left feeling so inspired. Because like I guess going back to the beginning, we were talking about people have the power. The thing about that song to me is when you walk out, you really do believe that you can change the world. Even in that five minutes when you're walking out of a Patti Smith show, it has that feeling of like, okay. And you know, look, great shows will, will absolutely do that. So for each of you, that, that moment seeing a song live where you had that feeling or being a part of a show where you're like, all right, now we're going to go out and change the world. You're talking to two old people that don't remember anything. Um, <laughs> <laughs> honestly, there's, I don't usually ever leave a benefit not feeling that feeling like benefits for us are like, they're like the, the nectar from the goddess. You know, we, we don't, we leave a benefit and we feel inspired. I mean, um, and, but I would say for me, honor, we did a, really long honor the earth tour a long time ago in the nineties to raise one of the first really long tours. It was like five weeks or something all over Indian country and border towns. And Jackson Brown was part, did part of those tours with us and Bonnie Raitt. And a lot of people joined in here and there and a lot of indigenous musicians. And when that, when those tours are over, I feel, I just feel so much hope from meeting with all the Indian activists and seeing what they're doing in their communities. And so it's not like, Oh my God, there have been so many benefits, you know, I mean, <laughs> it's, it's like so many. Um, I'll say, you know, the, I, I do remember the March on Washington, like the first, when was that Emily? One of the early nineties, right? Early nineties. And it was one of the first really huge things that we had ever done where you could see so many people in one place and all the, and it was so, and I had a feeling like things were going to change, you know, standing up there on that freaking scaffolding, singing American tune with my knees knocking together. I was so nervous, but I had this feeling of like, this is going to happen. Of course it was a lot, a lot longer later after it finally did, but, <laughs> but it, I think the sheer numbers cause sometimes can make you have that feeling, you know, too. Oh no, Emily's probably got a, a memory. Well, it's hard. I have a memory of the, the, the women's March on Washington. Mm, right, right. Yeah. And, and, and I'm, I'm not going to remember the song she sang, but Janelle Monet <clears throat> sang and I love Janelle Monet and everything she stands for, but it was a spoken, a spoken word that really blew my mind. And that was Angela Davis you know, to be able to oh, stand, yeah, 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 stand on the same stage and in her presence, with how much we honor and respect her, um, and the power of her leadership through the years. So I'm going to say the spoken word and and Janelle Monae and damn it, I cannot remember the name of the song, 
but she had a lot of different women up there on the stage. And anytime you galvanize people and you hear different voices at the same time, uh, but we were in the presence of greatness and I will never forget that. And, and the power of that March, how peaceful it was, you know, it was just a, uh, yeah, right up there at the top. And I used to love the way Lilith Fair wrote checks. Sarah McLaughlin would write a check, a dollar from every ticket sold on Lilith Fair to a local women's organization. So it was affecting the communities in each place where we were, you know, um, and a grassroots community nonprofits. So I always remember that as a very powerful experience too, even though those weren't specifically benefit shows there was a benefit aspect to them with the dollar given away from every ticket sale and there were shitload of tickets sold yeah cool this was i mean i appreciate you guys doing this so much is there anything that you guys want to add that i did not ask you about i want to add that i'm sorry i can't remember anything specific <laughs> <laughs> no that, that those were great uh, it's all good and and it's fine and now wait amy when you say singing american tune do you mean the paul simon song yeah. Yeah. Oh, man. Yeah. Because Talk we learned that early on, and, and I don't know why we decided to do that at the gate. <laughs> but, um, oh, my God, I've never been so, uh, I've never been so nervous in my life. I could have barfed right on the microphone. <laughs> <laughs> but you did. So if you did, it would have made an entertaining story. <laughs> Cool. Well, thank you both so much for doing this, for being Thanks. the guinea pigs for this. It's, uh, you know, and, and I love your song choices as well. I love the fact that it covers such a, a wide range of stuff from, you know, all the way back from We Shall Overcome to Tupac. Cool. Cool. Thank, thank you, guys. Thank you. Have a good one. You too. Great to talk to you. You too. Hey, this is Steve Balton, and you have been tuned in to People Have the Power with special guest the Indigo Girls. Hope you enjoyed this conversation as much as we did. Uh, really fascinating talk and really appreciate their honesty and candor and their excellent song choices. Always a pleasure to speak with them.